right. Welcome to another episode of the uh, Saxo Market Call. I'm here with Ulis Hansen, our our head of commodity strategy, and we're going to talk about commodities. We recently did a podcast uh, with all of it with Wisdom Tree. I can highly recommend that. It was very good. Um, it's a uh, it's a fund manager that is has you know produced and created a lot of uh, ETCs on uh, on various commodities. Um, very interesting podcast to say the least. But all of today, we're going to talk about industrial or you call it semi-industrial metals silver and and platinum we're going to talk about crude oil we can't escape that and then we're going to talk a little bit more generally about the overall commodity market and and what is happening to raw yields which is a very important concept if you have a strategic view on commodities but if we start with the first theme the first thing so we've seen a little bit of a comeback to uh, to silver and and platinum and uh, that's interesting because is it an isolated a pocket of uh, a positive sentiment uh, and and what's driving it if it is an isolated pocket well that is a very good question peter and that and um, unfortunately we'll only know <laughs> over time but uh, what what is really uh, i think the main thing that happens well the main thing that has happened across markets uh, so far this week was obviously the the weaker than expected cpi print we had early in the week from the us it it re- reignited the uh, the focus on uh, the prospect of uh, feds uh, having hit peak rates and uh, it also led to a, a another increase in the expectations for rate cuts next year and this is really where this whole uh, where i think this sector comes into play uh, you uh, you focusing on that as well peter when you look at some of the uh, some of the some of the sectors that that did really well uh, earlier this week from the the prospect of lower funding costs and that's basically where platinum and silver comes in while gold has been uh, really cr- quite crazy the last uh, couple of months, uh, up at one point more than two hundred dollars within a couple of weeks. Silver and platinum has been left uh, has been left behind. The reason for that is uh, two things. First of all, that central banks are buying gold; they're not buying platinum and silver. And secondly, because they're semi-industrial, so they are they are just like many other in- industries, especially the green transformation industry, suffering from uh, from very high interest rates following the the surge in both rates and yields during the past year. But the prospects for that potentially starting to to uh, to reverse, I think, was really the trigger that uh, that that kicked off the the rallies we've seen. So so platinum's discount to gold has narrowed to a thousand. 60 still elevated relatively to the 950 we saw recently but it, it hit a 1100 discount uh, uh, last week so it has started to come down silver is heading for its highest close today since september um and and basically now need to find Find its foothold above the 200-day moving average, which is 23.28. And what's driving the 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 rate announcement was, or the CPI was the trigger, but the driver right now is simply that investment funds and hedge funds are under-invested in both silver and platinum. We 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 saw three weeks of near record buying of gold, and during the same time, silver and platinum actually saw net selling. So the positions there are very small. And if if we are getting some fresh momentum into the market. Then hedge funds need to get back in on the on the long side, and that will that will uh, support the the current momentum. All right, good points there. Interesting, uh, interesting setup for uh, for those two uh, those two metals, and uh, yeah, and obviously gold. We will be continue to track all with uh, everything that is happening around inflation and pricing of the Fed's uh, policy rate trajectory from here. But that's certainly going to be a big theme uh, from here on in, in the next six to nine months. But we're going to talk about. What I I think is the most important commodity market in the world, uh, the crude oil market. Um, 
so many efforts by OPEC Plus to cut production, Saudi Arabia being a key actor here to drum up prices. And you know, as you have been hammering in this point so many times, Ole, you know, if you square the uh, the the um, the reduced volume with the new price, and especially given the latest declines we've had, the uh, the 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 revenue generated for Saudi Arabia is is actually much lower. So it doesn't seem like the strategy is working. What is uh, what are we going to what are we going to expect? I mean, we're trading around what is it eighty dollars in in Brent right now? Um, yeah, we're just holding above eighty, and that's uh, I'll say actually quite a quite an important psychological level. And uh, and it's interesting uh, that, that this we're seeing this fresh weakness uh, this past couple of days. Uh, simply, uh, basically, it's just showing that uh, crude oil struggled uh, or failed to uh, to join the risk on rally that we had uh, following that CPI print, where we saw a big surge in global stock markets, uh, the dollar weakened, and uh, bond yields uh, bond yields tanked, but crude oil didn't get a bit from that and that just uh, highlights the, the the current weakness so um something like WTI currently stuck in the 75 to 80 dollar range and uh, the fact that we didn't make it back above uh, 80 which I in a, in a in a note I sent out earlier today called uh, the safer grounds uh, the fact that it didn't uh, was enough signal for 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 selling to uh, to reemerge, and that's what we're going through right now. And I think, once again, we're probably at risk of overshooting to the downside. Uh, we just had the monthly oil market reports out this week from from the IEA and OPEC, and even though they differ on some of the conclusions, their their overall view is still that demand remains robust. It's still it's still rising. And uh, and and where the difference is a bit on on the on the supply side, where 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 there's a quite a big difference in what where we see Russian supply in the coming months, and uh, and that obviously will 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 have an impact on the actual balance uh, supply demand balance. But overall, they are they're, they're sounding quite uh, quite bullish, both of them, and uh, prices are selling off nevertheless. And I think part of that, uh, a lot of that, is is due to uh, to momentum and due to uh, where where traders want to be be uh, how traders want to be positioned right now we had that uh, big big rally uh, into uh, early parts of october uh, driven by production cuts that uh, sucked out a lot of short positions in the market based to the point that short position dropped to the lowest level in 12 years and when the reversal happened when demand started to show some signs of, of weakness there was really no short positions from uh, speculators left to absorb selling pressure from longs and that basically means we uh, it suddenly cascaded and we're, we're down here so i think this in the short term um there's a risk to the downside but that risk to the downside will will become even more interesting as we approach November 26, because that's when OPEC uh, and OPEC non-OPEC members meet once again for the first time in six months. And um, we know these meetings, they always like, at least for the last couple of times, uh, they have they have liked to spring some surprises. So I think the market probably will be starting to get a little bit more careful or cautious as we approach that uh, November 26 date. But for now, momentum is, uh, is driving it down. I think we are into overshoot territory, but uh, as with this, we all markets, it can easily overshoot in both directions before it, uh, before fundamentals reassert themselves. Right, and 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 what about you know there was a lot of talk in the in the EU uh, about the uh, about Russian crude, and you know basically acknowledging that a lot of the a lot of the, the you know the framework and a lot of the schemes that have been put in place by the EU to ensure that Russian oil is sold at a at a deep discount. They're not getting more than sixty sixty dollars per barrel. I mean, they admitted that that's not really working. But you know, just before we we move on to the next topic, what 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 is the latest? I mean, what what's the dynamics of of this Russian this Russian crude oil because it's still flowing to the global market. Well, Peter, being uh, being located not 
that far away from uh, from some of the waterways that uh, has been mentioned uh, uh, in in these uh, in this week, basically saying that the the Danish Strait should be uh, policed and uh, ships passing through from the Baltic should uh, should be uh, turned around if they if, if oil is not uh, either been carried by ships that are under embargo or carried by by or, or sold at a price that is uh, above the price uh, cap. But it's just going to be impossible to police. I mean, setting a Danish policeman on board a, a, a or, or a customer guy on on board a, a super tanker and asking for to look at the papers, they can sell that. They can sell to uh, to so to uh, they can sell to to client B at fifty nine dollars, and then client B sells on to client C for uh, sixty five dollars. We have no idea to uh, how, so it's basically going to be impossible. So uh, I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be I think it'll be. Uh, I'll be surprised to see if there's a if there's a notable slowdown in in Russian exports from from any new attempts to uh, to curb uh, curb exports. Unfortunately, yeah, that's uh, that's how it is. But um, yeah, it, it's also going to be interesting. Uh, we we talked about it internally in our team, and you know these um, this JP Morgan uh, GDP now cast, um, which is basically an estimate in in real time of U- U.S. economic growth, as I highlighted um, this morning has come down pretty significantly over the past seven weeks and uh, there doesn't seem to be any indicators out of China suggesting that things are turning around there. So um, I think the backdrop on the demand side looks a little bit challenging to say the least for crude oil. But okay, but so a lot of things to chew on there. Moving on to the uh, to the broader commodity market and looking at roll yields. Um, what can we say? I mean, we we had a period more than a year ago where we had positive and and uh, and high roll yields in the in the energy market. That was really what was driving a lot of the the good returns for long term investors on the long side. That requires that the futures curve uh, is in um, is in, in backwardation. So you roll up the curve the curve and and get uh, and get a roll yield. But uh, that has changed, uh, Ole. But uh, has something else changed? Uh, energy is lower, but has something else changed in that market? I think the the the, the reason why I'm highlighting this is just, just simply that we 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 tend to look for look ahead, basically what is the spread from now and twelve months out. So so basically what what can you look for in terms of uh, of of roll yield uh, in the next twelve months? But uh, I thought it would be interesting just to look back as well just to see what has the actual realized roll yield spins and and been and and I, I get that from basically you looking at the Bloomberg Commodities Index. I take the total return. Uh, minus a spot return year on year, and uh, that basically shows us that the realized year on year gross yield, roll yield return on the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which can be tracked through multiple different ways through ETFs, uh, has uh, has has given a a roll return so far this uh, this past year on at four point two percent. It doesn't sound uh, perhaps doesn't sound much. Uh, it peaked at uh, just below ten percent last December, but if you look at the pre-pandemic ten-year average, that was around minus six percent because simply commodities tend to trade in. Con- tanker because the forward price near tends to be higher because if you take into consideration the cost of funding insurance and storage that all adds to a price <clears throat> adds to a cost which has to be reflected through a higher price in the future and the fact that we we, we don't have that and, and the fact we still have uh, have a positive uh, carry on on holding positions uh, that's also one of the reasons that we we believe that we're still looking into a excuse me <clears throat> looking into a positive market in 
in the months and, and, and quarters and years to come simply because supply is going to be as equally important as uh, demand is. Uh, also, as you mentioned, Peter, demand is, is showing some signs of, uh, of, of the economic growth outlook showing signs of weakness. We just had jobless claims in the US uh, rising to the highest since uh, August. So obviously, that's that's supporting the the peak rates uh, scenario that we are we're currently looking at. But uh, just breaking down the, the, the three major sectors, uh, disregarding precious metal because they more or less track the uh, the the the, uh, the the treasury bill rates uh, but if we look at the others then uh, the the biggest the return right now is is coming from the agriculture sector where where there's uh, where the, the the role yield is 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 well above uh, well above 10% i just uh, i was just scrambling here to get my numbers uh, but um, it's it's well above 10% whereas the energy and the industrial metals has come come down, but but generally they're all three still showing a positive return over the last uh, last year. And uh, looking into the markets here now, the uh, the tightness is in the bank, in, is in the agricultural, and we are seeing some of the uh, the top performing commodities this month. The top three they're all agricultural commodities: coffee, cocoa, and soybeans. And it's all weather related supply issues uh, that remains the biggest driver, and that that is likely to uh, to continue. Interesting. We just had a been we just been drowning in weather in rain in, in Denmark now for the past twenty four hours. That's that's happening elsewhere in Europe as well. So uh, so the waterways in Germany, the the Rhine, uh, we have most of the time we talk about uh, low water levels due to drought, meaning that the uh, barges can't pass. Now some barges are actually now they're close to them again as well because water water levels have suddenly jumped by four meters uh, down in the southern part, so they can't get onto the bridges. So. I think it just points to a increasingly volatile weather uh, situation, which is likely to underpin uh, underpin these uh, commodity prices in in the in the years to come. All right. Although it's not part of our um, our discussion for today, and maybe we can broaden it out, but we have one minute. Maybe you can leave a very short, if possible, a short comment on the uh, on the energy markets in Europe. And here I'm thinking specifically on the on the gas market. It seems like we're still trading a little bit sub uh, 50, uh, 50 euros uh, per contract here. So, um, you know, still higher than in, in June, but still considerably lower than what we had last year. It seems like the supply situation is still okay. And with the temperature forecast in place? It is indeed. Uh, we just saw a small increase this week, but uh, but as you said, Peter, we're holding below fifty euros in the spot market, and uh, and uh, and for now, it looks like it looks that's where the where we're going to uh, to settle. What can uh, what can impact that? Of course, at this point in time, is primarily the weather. If we do get a, a turn uh, for, uh, towards much colder weather uh, fairly soon. Uh, I before we get towards the really peak demands uh, season in in late December and January and early February, then then we could potentially see prices uh, receiving a bit of a boost. But uh, there's no supply disruptions anywhere right now. The uh, the Mediterranean platform in uh, in Israel, which is sending gas to uh, Egypt, which is then transformed into LNG and sent to Europe, that has restarted. So uh, so we so it looks like there's there's ample supply, and we can also see that simply from the fact that the the peak winter country contract which is the february contract the price of gas for delivery in february is only two euros above the current spot price that's a small additional premium to pay for for all the weather risk that uh, that uh, lies between now and uh, and february so that just highlights a market that uh, for now at least remains fairly relaxed
All right, perfect. I think that uh, that concludes uh, today's uh, today's podcast. And um, it's always interesting to talk about commodities. So, um, yeah, watch out for the price action in silver and platinum. Watch uh, crude oil, and uh, yeah, note that down. The November twenty sixth, the uh, the OPEC uh, meeting there in in Vienna, and then again, I know just you know track commodities, and uh, and I'm still. I'm still looking at commodities from the perspective that is, I'm going to believe that the economy is reaccelerating. I want to see that being reflected increasingly in industrial metals and the uh, the oil price. So while we wait for that, um, enjoy investing and trading out there, and uh, we'll be back with another podcast on commodities next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs>